0: Hey friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. All right, we're looking, during this time of Lent, we're looking at um, how, how God in His grace deals with shame. And it's so beautiful that Jesus um, is never ashamed of us, of anybody. But somehow, when it comes to Christianity and our experiences with church, um, our experience with shame sometimes can be sky high. So different than the encounters that people had with Jesus and even in the early church. And so I think um, it's important for us to realize there is a gift that God gives us in Jesus in approaching shame. And I think we need to recover that because it's not what a lot of people experience when it comes to encountering God or encountering those who follow Jesus in the Christian community. So we're going to look at John um, 16 verses 4 to 11. And then from John 20. John 16 verses 4 to 11. But I have said these things to you so that when their houses come, you may remember that I told you about them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world about sin and righteousness and judgment and about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer, about judgment, because the rule of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears and will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And now John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. These are some of my most favorite verses in all of Holy Scripture. And we're going to look at these through this lens of uh, different kinds of shame and how this may have been present in that, just really thick in that room. This is the upper room, by the way. This is the day of the resurrection. The apostles um, didn't believe that Jesus was risen. And then Jesus walks into the room. And so we're going to look at it from three different vantage points of shame. John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. When it was evening on the day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, and as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, You have believed because you've seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the Holy Scripture. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds be pleasing to you, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. we come from presbyterian roots we are now um, a participating church we work with other churches of many denominations but we come from reformed and presbyterian roots the pca and so a lot of my friendships with pastors are still in what's called the pca i love my brothers and sisters in the pca 20 years ago i was in a group of nine pastors i was the oldest even 20 years ago and i'm still in this group nine of us get together well eight of us now we get together once a year twice a year um to be with each other to pray um uh, make fun of each other, and help each other just walk this strange journey in our vocation. Of the nine pastors, and I'm the oldest, only two are full-time pastors. Now, these nine, these were, uh, nah, it sounds a little arrogant, but we were, the, these were um, some of the most, and are, are still some of the most gifted, uh, wonderful pastors I've ever met. All of them church planters, so meanings that they they were men of adventure. They're going to New York and Chicago and Florida. And I was in Santa Fe. And so we all got together like, yeah, we're on fire for Jesus. But of these nine, and they all laughed like, uh, when we met you, Mark, we, t- we would never take a bet that you were the one that would last longer than us. Like, we thought, dude, you're going to be out earlier than the rest of us. They couldn't believe it. But the other seven, no. Two of them are still involved in Christian ministry, but the rest of them are done. They're done. And it's not, it's not because they're done because um, they had major crises in their life. They're done because the job is not what they thought it would be. They were disillusioned. What they thought the church would be, what they thought ministering to people would be, they had no idea. And they just said, and we're done. But we still meet as a group. So I, I say that because I think you know people Maybe you have people in your life who are done. Who are done with church. It's not what they thought it would be. They had to get out because they experienced things that they shouldn't have experienced. Um, I think one of the reasons that my friends left is because uh, of how they experienced shame as pastors. And how people approach them. Their theology of shame. We didn't talk about it much. And shame is this feeling of, you know what it is, it's like, oh, I'm caught. When you're caught like, oh, I've done something wrong. Who's going to, is someone going to cover me? Is someone going to help me? Is someone going to make fun of me? Um, I think they got out because of shame. And I think a lot of people have difficulty with church because of shame. Um, these guys in this upper room, can you imagine what they may have felt that day? Uh, let, let me go back. Just remember, um, Jesus was not resuscitated. He was dead. Their relationship with Jesus ended on Good Friday. We, we, have, we don't think about that. We don't, we don't think about... Well, they, still, they, you know, they were grateful for him. They still had pleasant thoughts in their minds. But the, the reason that their relationship with him died is that it was no longer mutual. He wasn't there anymore. If you've gone to a funeral and you grieve someone that, you, that died, you can still say, well, I, I, still, re- I still think about them. I, I may pray to God for them. I, I have pleasant thoughts. Or I may have um, mixed thoughts because we never were able to reconcile. But your relationship has ended because you can't talk to them anymore. It's over. Does that make sense? And even that makes you angry. But with the, the apostles, their relationship ended on Good Friday. And what's very interesting... Jesus told them, I will rise from the dead in three days. They, they didn't believe him. They had a woman, Mary, who met Jesus at the empty tomb, and she was the first preacher of the resurrection, and she went to the apostles and said, he's not dead, he's risen. Luke tells us that John and Peter actually went to the tomb. Where were the others? Huh, I guess they didn't care who went. They didn't find him. They also didn't go looking for him. And then they locked themselves in a room. And they were afraid. Because now their friend that they were grieving is not resuscitated. He's back. The world has never seen anything like this. And then he walks in the door. How would you feel? How would you feel if you are Peter denying him? How would you feel if you're John, you're supposed to take care of his mother and you wouldn't even go looking for him? How would you feel? Oh, I'd, I'd feel caught. Like, whew, I didn't see this coming. Um, they probably felt shame. And that's why I, and you guys have heard me say this before, when Jesus said to them, peace be to you, the word peace is also hello there. And I know some of you think, well, where, where do you get that? Um, it, we use that word too. Um, peace for, for, for us in, in America is not often hello, it's often goodbye. Especially like at, back in 1972, like peace dude, see ya, right? It's a way of, uh, it's a way of saying blessings and salutations, of grace and peace to you. So sometimes the word peace is just a way of greeting someone or saying goodbye. But it's particularly a good greeting to allay someone of their fears. They were surprised. So the resurrection came to them. When Jesus came to them on Sunday night, this resurrection was pure gift. They did nothing to deserve the gift of his friendship back. What did they do? Denied him. locked themselves in a room, were afraid of, and they were right to be afraid. These were They're 60 miles north. They're from Galilee. They got Galilean accents. That's like, they sound like they're from Kentucky rather than Texas and people know it and they're down here in the big city down in Jerusalem and they can tell that they're with this guy from Galilee and religious leaders are after them. The Roman military party is looking for them. This guy that they killed, they crucified. He's missing. They probably think he has the body. They don't. They're stuck. And then guess who shows up in the room? There's some tension there's got to be some tension right then, some real tension going on. They're afraid, and Jesus doesn't walk in there and go, "Well, well, well." No, he does what my sister does. He went, "Hello, hello, relax, relax, come down, come down, come down. Peace be to you." And they were so shocked. So I'm going to give you three vignettes to think about. Um, they were caught. They were caught in their hypocrisy. Ah, now why do I say that? I want to read to you one verse out of uh, Luke chapter 24. Something that we forget about. We know that Mary was the first one to see Jesus alive. Mary came and found them and told them, He's alive. He told the leaders of the Christian community, St. Peter, St. John, St. James, St. Matthew. He told all those saints That he was alive. And this is what the saints did. This is Luke chapter 24. Verse 11. Now I'll start with verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. What did they tell? That Jesus is alive. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. Oh, that is such a, that's such a, um, wow, that's such a bad rendering of the word idle tale. That's a G-rated word. Did you know this is more like a PG-13 or an R-rated word, idle tale? It's, um, it's the word for BS. They were saying, no way, he ain't here. Hey, no way. Mm-mm. Nice try we deny, we don't believe. Oh yeah, we followed him. We're done with that. We're, we're locked in the upper room. He's not here. They denied him. They were caught in their hypocrisy. Oh Lord, we'll follow you everywhere. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, says St. Peter. And they're in the upper room and they're, they're caught red-handed. So um, what does is, what is, what is the grace of God do when we are are filled with shame for being caught? You're forgiven. Step number one, Jesus said hello. And then he says, you're forgiven. Oh my goodness. Isn't that beautiful? So when we're caught in the middle of a lie, what is the posture of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Hello. I know you. You're forgiven. That's exactly what's going on here. Peace be to you. And then they came near. When they realize he's not out to get them, he said, Oh, they drew near the hug. And then he said, And I breathe on you the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave him the gift of himself, his own spirit. And forgive other people. And don't retain their sins. Don't retain their sins because you won't be forgiven. Don't forgive. Forgive. So the resurrection comes as gift, and it comes as forgiveness to those who are experiencing shame, especially shame of being caught as a hypocrite. I find that so encouraging. They were hypocrites. Mary, I saw Jesus. St. Peter, St. John, St. Matthew. Get out of here. What a joke. He's here. Hello. You're forgiven. Oh, why don't we do that? That's who our God is. That's what God does for us. You know, if if we have a hard time... I, I. I had an experience um, many years ago in a different state as a pastor. I had a meeting where I came home and told my wife, I can't fix this problem. We're going to have to move. And she said, please try to fix it. I said, honey, I can't. Now, what was the problem? Our church was growing. We got property to buy for a brand new building. We had our elders and deacons meeting. That's the leaders of the church. And we were growing, and things were going, and I, I interviewed all the families in the neighborhood where our church was going to be built. And this is the only non-housing building in this area. And they did not see the, the church building as a gift. They saw it as a traffic problem. So I said, I had a meeting with all our leaders and said, um, before we build a building, I think we should put on a, like, a basketball court or let's like a dog park. It's not going to cost us much. I hear the initial cost." And then get our neighbors on the architectural review. But but if we don't do this, um, they're going to hate us. And one by one, all these leaders got up and said, no, we want to build the building. We want we want you to carry this forward. I said, whoa, 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 hold on. What's more important, building or, or, or loving people well? And they said, we want the building. And ever since you came here, you've been causing problems. And I said, well, I want anyone, else to, anyone else want to say what I've been doing since I've been here? And then they all rose up. They were shocked. I, was, I thought that they would. we were growing because we were putting Jesus first and now all of a sudden, the leaders didn't want to put Jesus first. They wanted to put our new building first. And then I came home and told my wife, I can't fix this problem. And that's not the real hurt. The real hurt was this. I had two leaders come to me afterwards, after the meeting, and say, Hey, Mark, good job, man. We're on your side. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, I retained that. I, I could take what happened in the meeting, but I retained that. I found that so hypocritical. One of them came to me and said, Hey, I'm thinking of becoming a pastor just like you. Would you mind discipling me? I said, Oh, are you kidding me? I was crucified in there. And you have the. now you say privately, we're with you? I don't think so. We've got problems. No, here's the problem with me. This is what I learned about me. Why couldn't I forgive their hypocrisy? It's because I looked at my own hypocrisy and didn't want to think about it. It's because I, I didn't want to deal with my own hypocrisy. I realized I have a hard time forgiving that because that's me at times. And I said, dear God, please forgive me. I'm no different than Peter and John. I'm no different than Matthew saying, that's BS that you're risen. And Jesus says, hello, you're forgiven. And so I, I forgave them because I realized that's me. I do the same thing. By the way, if you have a hard time forgiving hypocrisy or lies, look, look in first. Have soft eyes to people that make bad decisions out of fear. You've never done that? You've never made a bad decision out of fear? I don't think so. I think you have. And the grace of God in Christ tells us, hello, and you're forgiven. Okay, next vignette. Very brief- briefly. You know, Christians have this thing about body ambiguity. You know what I mean about body ambiguity? We believe that God lived in a body in Jesus because Jesus is fully God and fully man. And so that means human bodies are good. Um, frangelica is a very famous italian painter and when he realized uh he's the one that paints those paintings of babies that are angels like chubby angels they're all naked babies you ever seen those paintings very famous uh, monk uh, because he realized that god made the body beautiful and that there's no body shame the early church when they were baptized if you took Nica's class they were baptized naked and then they put on a robe and they had bread and honey and milk a sign of coming into the promised land there's no body shame you know but but Christians today, we have issues with our bodies, and all of us do. Um, there are certain psychologists that specialize in what's called social moral disgust. They're social moral disgust psychologists. Like, wow, what does that mean? They list the things that are most disgusting. And ask the question, why? Like, um, it's disgusting to touch, to touch uh, uh, roadkill. It's disgusting when people have... Um, Bad hygiene. It's disgusting uh, if people have body deformity or the public display of body fluids. The only body fluid that's not disgusting to most Western people are tears. When people cry and have tears, we think, oh, they're so happy. Or, oh, they're so sad. Or, oh, they have joy. Or, oh, there's something. It draws us to them with tears. But if people blow their nose in public, if people spit in public, that's disgusting. Why is that? Except in sports. You guys know that, right? Sports is the one time three where it's not disgusting. And I'm honest about it. I think sports is when we feel alive. Long-distance runners, oh, you know, the, the, the sounds of things people make when they're long-distance, blowing snot, <laughs> spitting, um, uh, yeah, high contact sports, snot flying everywhere. Bicycle riding, not flying. It's like free. Let them flow, let them flow. No shame. They're free of body shame. I think it's part of the beauty of sports. We don't have body shame when sports are... But all of a sudden, and you think Christians with God living in the body, there should be body shame. Now, one of the biggest things of body shame is, is like a gaping wound. Now, why, why do we have body shame? A lot of psychologists say we have body shame because bodies remind us, when we think about them, that we're, we're animals and that we're mortal and that we're going to die. And we don't want to think about that. We avoid death because we know our bodies change. We avoid death and thinking about it because we're ashamed of death because death wins. We don't want to talk about that. I, I, I read, I have a. Um, an acquaintance, He's a, he is one of these social, moral, discussed psychologists, a Christian man, and he was in a bookstore one day, and he said, I'm not ashamed of my body. Jesus has a body, and his body was resurrected from the dead, and I have to blow my nose, and I'm in half-price books, and I'm not going to go outside. I'm a Christian. And he just blew his nose really hard and loud and said, I'm not ashamed of my body, and my body flew because I, I'm not afraid to be reminded of my death. And I thought, Oh, that's so refreshing. Okay, but I, I want you to think what's going through the mind of the apostles. Okay, in this, in this, when Jesus said, touch my hands, a lot of us go, well, that's proof of the resurrection. Oh, that's so, yes. But go a little deeper than that. Go deeper. He is saying, you're ashamed of your bodies because your bodies remind you that Death wins. I conquered death. Come here. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be, no body shame. See this? I am alive. No body shame. That changed everything for them. Because they realized, now, that means like, well, they had a positive body image, Mark? Yeah, I think so. But more than that, they realized they're not afraid to think about death because death no longer holds power over them. That's why they risked their lives. That's why they risked their lives. So, to those of you, and all of us, that ever experienced body shame, because our bodies betray us, our bodies get, uh, they get asthma, and they get cancer, and they get decay, and they get all kinds of stuff. By the way, do you think Jesus ever had asthma? you think he ever got gassy? Oh, Mark, don't say that. Yes, I'm going to say it. You know why? He's a human being. And he experienced everything you did. And he overcame it through his death and resurrection. He's one of us. He's not ashamed of the body. And for any one of you, men or women, boys or girls, that ever experienced body shame, what does Jesus say to you? He says, hello. Peace be to you. Put your hands right here. No body shame. Isn't that beautiful? Nobody's shame. I made you. I've got you. Even when you're failing. I am the life and the resurrection. I have overcome death. Don't be afraid to think about it. I'm with you. Put your hands right here, is what he told them. He deals with shame in the most beautiful ways. He overcomes it. So beautiful. Okay, one last thing about shame. There's many more, but what about ashamed of the people that love you the most? You know what struck me about this whole thing in the upper room? You, a couple days earlier on Thursday, Jesus was at the Last Supper, and he said to his apostles, um, I, I can't wait to have this meal with you, and I can't wait to be with you again. And then they had the meal, the Last Supper, and then, and then he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he sweat, which seems to be drops of blood. By the way, isn't it like a panic attack? What else would we call that today? Yeah, he experienced stuff. He's a true human being who overcame death through his resurrection because he's both God and human. He wanted to be with his friends. He couldn't wait to be with the apostles. The very ones that denied him, Peter denied him. John didn't do anything to look for him. The rest of them, they scattered and they were in the upper room. Did they want to be with him? They didn't want to be with him. Have you ever loved someone that didn't want to be with you? What's it like to be ashamed of someone that loves you and then get caught? Oh, that's hard, isn't it? They were ashamed of him. He's risen. I don't think so. And they're thinking about ways of getting out of this whole thing of what they're going to do, and then the one who loves them the most walks in the room and embraces them. Oh my goodness. Oh, boy, what a good God he is. You know, when I was 14, um, I come from a large family. I, I remember one day my dad came home from work early, my dad's a very good athlete, and he said, "Hey, buddy, let's go play tennis." And I thought, yes, because I was at the age where I could start competing with my dad and beat him. And when you're 14, you like beating your dad. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll take you on, Pop. And then my little brother, Mike, who was 10, said, I want to go, Mart. And I said, no, I'm playing dad. Please let me go. Nope. You're a pain in the neck. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take dad. I'm going to beat him. Come on, let me hit. No, he kept bugging me, bugging me, bugging me. And finally I turned to him and said, Mike, stop it, you're losing a friend. Jeez, leave me alone. No kidding. I told my little brother, you're losing a friend. And that, well, that won the argument, right? Right there. So me and my dad played. And when I got home, my mom, she laid into both of us. Me and my dad. Like, why didn't you let the little guy go with you? And he's crying the whole time you guys are gone. And I said, yeah. And Mark, did you really say you're losing a friend? I did. Would you forgive? Yeah, that was dumb. Sorry, Mike. I, would you forgive me? And he did. 30 years later, my, my brother and I are very close. He is my best friend. 30 years later, we're together in Northern California. I do something and he says, oh. And I made fun of him and I said, you know, get out of here. And he goes, yeah, you're losing a friend, right? And he had tears. And I said, Mike, does this still hurt? He goes, it does. And I said, oh. And we cried. Because I was ashamed of the one who loved me. And I never saw it. I never saw it. I was really ashamed of the one who loved me so much. And I never came to terms with it. And he forgave me. He didn't do this to shame me. I mean, I was Peter and he's Jesus. And he's saying, do you know how much I want to be with you? No. said, I'm really sorry. I can't imagine. I thought, oh my God, forgive me. I'm just like those guys. I'm like those St. Peter's and John and Matthew. I love you, Lord. Losing a friend. You're of no use to me right now. You're of no use to me. And he comes to us and says, peace be to you. I forgive you. Oh, look how he deals with body shame. Look how he deals with hypocrite shame. Look how he deals with shame of... Denying the people that love us the most. Isn't that beautiful? What he does? He forgives us. Now, I know these things are kind of hard to think about, but isn't it also a relief that God would love us so much that he would say to these deep sins, Peace be to you. I forgive you. And he did. And John does something that only he does. This is like pre-Pentecost, Pentecost. He gives these men that have done all those things to him his very best gift. He gives them the Holy Spirit. He gives them himself. Oh, the crucified and risen Lord, he crucifies our shame by carrying it, by exposing it to us and saying, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed of you. So if he's not ashamed of, of these things that we do, we just need to be honest about them and, and not be ashamed of them either. And just in our own way, um, I think just embrace the goodness of God. Okay, what are a couple of practical things just to, to close with? When you feel body shame, don't recoil, just, hello! When you experience hypocrisy, like, oh, I want to, Hello. When you realize how you failed people that love you the most, don't run from it. Hello. And then think about what Jesus did from Good Friday to Easter Sunday. And then say, wow, could that really be forgiven? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's where hope comes from, doesn't it? Hope comes from someone that you can disappoint so many times and they still want to forgive you. And they do. And Jesus wants to forgive you. We just don't want to forgive ourselves or forgive others. He's that gracious. He's that good. And let's just read the Bible. Pretty clear, but we don't, we don't see what's right in front of us. Like this whole stuff with shame. It's right there. It's all there in front of us. He forgives us. He forgives you. Trust him. He forgives you. And when you experience these things, don't recoil because that's fear. And the love of Jesus, well, that casts out that fear. Let's pray. Lord, you're so good to us. Thank you for um, showing us that in all these ways that we feel shame, you have a way of addressing them so kindly, so directly, so beautifully. Help us appropriate those things to ourselves. And we thank you in your name. Amen.